what if God's plan for your life is very different from your plan for your life? Some of you, you've been planning your wedding day since as long as you can remember. You already have the dress, you already have the menu, you already have the photographer, you're just waiting for the groom. But what if? What if the Lord's plan for your life is very different from the specifics of that plan? What if rather than having the marriage that you've always longed for, the Lord is calling you to be the the self-denying matriarch in his kingdom? What if the plan that you and your husband have or you and your wife have to have children and a family, what if God frustrates that dream? So that you can be used by him to fulfill the dream of parentless children who are already here. What if the dream that you have for your ambition, what if God frustrates your ambition to have a meaningful career, the the dream that you had when you were younger and you would say, when I grow up, I'm going to be fill in the blank. What if that's never realized But instead, you go every day, day in and day out, 40, 50, 60 hours a week to what is otherwise a miserable place. So that there, in the midst of darkness, you can be light. So there, in the midst of misery, you can bring joy. So that you can be a disciple maker where otherwise it appears that God has forgotten. See, there's a response that comes naturally to us when God calls us to do something great. That when God calls us to do a great work, the historical, natural response of his people has always been, God, don't send me. Don't send me. Send somebody else. Send anyone else. But don't send me. Let me have my dreams. Let me have my ambitions. Let me be who I want to be. That's what we see in Moses' life in Exodus 3 and 4. God is calling Moses forward to do a great work, to deliver his people from slavery into the promised land. And Moses begins a series of five protests. We have them framed as questions. A series of, of five protests where essentially he is saying, God, God, let me have my life the way that I want it. Let me live the, li- the life that I've dreamed of. Lord, I don't want to go. Don't send me. Send someone else. So if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me now to Exodus chapter 4. Exodus chapter 4. And this is the part that I've enjoyed the most, what I've looked forward to most. Would you stand with me as we read God's word together? I mean, y'all look around. Y'all look around. The church is still standing, isn't she? The church is still standing. Powerful. We're going to read Exodus chapter 4. We're going to read the first 17 verses together. Then Moses answered, But behold, They will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? And he said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it. And it became a staff in his hand that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. 
If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, O my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. May God bless the reading and the preaching of his word this morning. You can be seated. As we said last week, God has called you to do something, and he's called you to do something great. But the irony of that is, is that there's a good chance that when you receive God's call, that you won't be excited about it. There's a good chance that when, God, when you receive God's call on your life to do something for his name, that you won't want to do it. In fact, it'll probably sound unreasonable and irrational. It may even sound impossible. See, our first reaction when God calls us to do something is to start doing a self-assessment, isn't it? It's to start with, with a pros and cons list. God has called us to start a nonprofit, or to begin ministry with the homeless or to lead a marriage conference or to begin teaching or, or pastoring or being a missionary. And our response is, well, let me do a financial analysis. Let me see how the family budget's looking. Let me see my circumstances. Let me see the margin of my time. Let me see where I'm at. And we get to the end of it and we think, I don't have enough money. I don't have enough energy. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough education. I don't have enough skills. I can't do it. And so we go, Lord, if you want me to, open up the door. Lord, if you would have me to obey you, open up the door. And what we're doing is we're saying, Lord, I am expecting you to allow me out of this. I'm expecting you to be okay with my disobedience because as you can see, I'm not able. I'm not capable. It would just cost me too much. And this is exactly the kind of self-assessment and analysis that we're seeing here in the life of Moses as he begins to ask these final three questions that we see. The first question that he asks is, why would anyone listen? Why would anyone listen? He says in verse 1, he says, Then answered Moses, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob by the time of Moses, must have felt like mythology to the people of God. That, that when Israel heard that there was this God that had made a promise to Abraham and, and wrestled with Jacob and spared Isaac, that, that for them, this was just conflated with all of the false stories of false gods that they were hearing, the oracles that they were hearing in Egypt. And it had been 400 years since they had heard a word from God. And so the supernatural, it seemed nebulous. It seemed impossible. It seemed out there. Not unlike it does to us, right? Not unlike it does to us. 
So many people, they read the miracles of the scriptures and they think this is just mythology. And so no one having heard, and Moses is like, so now you want me to go to them, to your people, tell them a burning bush has sent me named I am. And you want me to tell them, collect all your wedding china. We're going to take you and march you out from under the oppression of the greatest empire in the world, the greatest military in the world, into the wilderness, into an inhabited, luscious land that's now going to be theirs. I'm sure, Lord, I'm sure that when I go, they're going to say, yeah, we'll follow you. You heard from God? You talk to a bush? Of course we'll go where you're sending us. And so Moses is looking back to the Lord and he's saying, would you be realistic? Would you be realistic? How many times is that our answer to God? How many times is that answer to, our answer to God? God calls us to a work. God calls us to do something. And our response back to God is, God, won't you be realistic? Won't you be reasonable? And it's questions like this that show how little of God that we actually know. How little of God's character we actually comprehend. And that's the point of the signs that he begins to show. He says, I am the God of, of, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so that you may know, so that you may see, and so that you may show them, take the staff and put it on the ground. Now what you need to realize is that staff that Moses had, he carried it everywhere that he went. He'd had it for years. If anybody knew just how powerless and ordinary that staff was, it was Moses. That staff wasn't a sorcerer's pole. That staff was just a piece of wood that he used to whack sheep to bring them back into the fold. It has no inherent power, no inherent strength, no inherent divination. And yet God says, take that ordinary staff, that staff you have carried with you everywhere, and lay it on the ground. He lays it on the ground and it turns into a serpent. He says, Moses begins to run. This isn't a mirage. This isn't some fake serpent. This isn't some metaphorical serpent. It is a literal serpent that Moses believes will strike him, and he begins to run from it. And God says, go and take it by the tail. Now, I don't know how many of y'all are snake handlers. Not that kind of church, but maybe at your house. I don't know. You don't pick up a snake by the tail, right? You don't pick up a snake by the tail. You pin it behind the head. But he says, go, and he says, pick it up by its tail. And he picks it up by its tail and immediately transforms back into his regular old staff again. Now he's wearing a cloak, and it's the same cloak that he would have worn every day. He would have worn it, and he would have patched it, and he would have worn it some more, and he would have washed it, and he would have worn it some more. And so he knows this is just a regular cloak. This is my cloak. He may have made it for himself. And God says, take your hand and put it in your cloak. And he pulls it out, and it's white with leprosy. God says, put it back. And he puts it back in his regular, ordinary cloak, and he puts it back in there. And it's transformed back to health again. And God says, if they will not believe this, then what I want you to do, I want you to take water out of the Nile, the Nile, this mighty river running right through the heart of Egypt. And I want you to dump it on the ground. And when you dump it on the ground, it's going to turn to blood. Now, why did God answer Moses like this? Why did God answer him in such a strange way? It's to show it, it, it's to bring reassurance into his life, assurance and certainty to his call, and to do it in at least two ways. The first thing that he's showing him is that God is sovereign over Moses. That God is sovereign over Moses. That God is making a believer out of Moses before Moses is going to make a believer out of God's people. That Moses feared the snake, but God was above the snake. That Moses couldn't control his health and he couldn't control disease, but God was above his health and God was above his disease. 
He had no say in the Nile or in, the na- in nature, but God was directing every drop of the longest river in the world at his own discretion. You see, that staff, that ordinary staff, that cloak, those were parables of who Moses was. Moses was the ordinary staff. Moses was a man without power. Moses was a man without eloquence. Moses was a man without qualification. Moses was a man without competency, except Moses was going to be in the hand of Almighty God. And in the hand of Almighty God, God was going to transform that ordinary staff, that ordinary cloak, into one who would speak to his people on behalf of the divine. God was making something out of Moses. Moses wasn't that already. God was at work in Moses, forming his character and forging his call and assuring him and preparing him. And that's why many of you are wrestling with God on every front right now. Right now in your life, it feels like nothing is easy. It feels like everywhere you turn, there's resistance to what God would have for you to do. And you have God calling you to do something. And it's like everything that you even try to do is just frustrated all the more so that it's all the harder. And it's like God is pushing back on the very thing that he's calling you to do. And it's because God is making something of you. God is forming who you are. He's transforming you into his image. It means that you haven't yet released the last inklings of self-reliance. And so he's transforming and he's at work because this is what God does. God works in you in private before he works through you in public. God works in you in private before he works through you in public. And so you can sense this inner turmoil, this this battle that's happening in, in the darkness of your house. And it's because he's at work in you. God wasn't just showing through the signs that he was sovereign over Moses. He was showing through the signs that he was sovereign over Egypt and Pharaoh. This was the great enemy. This was the great obstacle. It wasn't just convincing the people. It was He had to go against what was literally the mightiest man in the world. They might, God might as well have come and told Moses when he tells him to march him out of Egypt to go and build a civilization on Mars. It was just as likely. Except, do you know what, Mo, what Pharaoh would be wearing when Moses went and confronted them? It would be a headdress that was like a a cobra that was coiled around his head ready to strike. Up his arm would be a a, a bracelet that was like a a cobra that was wrapped around. See, the cobra was the goddess of lower Egypt. It was the, the the symbol of their power, the symbol of their promise, the symbol of their aggression. It was the reason they believed themselves to be insurmountable. And God makes them out of sticks. God makes their false gods out of sticks. That's the point to Moses. I am above their gods. I am above the one that they believe marks them. The one that marks you is far greater than the one that marks them. Pharaoh believed himself to be a demigod. That he was not accountable to anyone. That he spoke as the divine to the mortals. That he was one that got to do as he pleased. And he would convince the world of the same. That he was autonomous and unaccountable. Except Moses putting his hand and seeing the leprosy is reminded that God is above every man. And God has numbered the days of every man, woman, and child. And they will not be able to come out from under him. No, Pharaoh, he's just a man. Pharaoh's generals are just men. Pharaoh's army just men and they are beneath the sovereign God it was the Nile that had made Egypt set apart 
The Nile that had made them more prosperous than all the other nations. The Nile that would allow them to have crops in the midst of famine. The Nile that would allow them to have life in the midst of the drought. Except the Nile flows at the discretion of the Almighty. And so even the Nile, even the lifeblood of Egypt herself was at the hands of a sovereign and risen God. And so God is assuring Moses and comforting Moses and steadying Moses by telling him who he is, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and by showing him how sovereign and how mighty he really is. Why would he do that? You see, when the call of God comes on your life, you're not going to stop being nervous. When the call of God comes on your life, you're not going to stop doubting. You're too weak, (laughs) you're you're too vulnerable, you're you're too powerless, you're too unsteady, you're too unstable, you're you're, you're too wretched, fill in the blank, you're too that. But God assures his people. God reassures his people. And he never sends you to Egypt with an untested staff. See, he took the assurance that he was given to Moses and he placed it right in his hand. So that every time the doubts crept in, every time the trepidations and fears showed up, every time the anxieties and insecurities began to infringe upon Moses' peace, he could look down in his hand and he could remember the staff that became the serpent. He could remember the promises of God. He could remember that it was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That is, that it is the God who has steadied the promise, who made the promise, who has perpetuated the promise, who is sustaining the promise, and that that God is for him. He is for his people. So he could look at his staff and remember that God is for him. And he could see and remember the demonstrations of God's power. And remember, God is not just for him, but God is with him. Wherever he goes, the staff will be there. When he calls you, when he calls you, you better believe he's going to give you a message for your doubts. That he is for you and he is with you. He may take a miraculous baby that came into your house. And on that day of your greatest doubt, you look down and you see the smile of that innocent child. And it reminds you that God is for you and God is with you. He may take a a powerful memory of how he worked in the past. And he may remind you at just the right time and just the moment of your greatest doubt that he is for you and he is with you. He may take a scar in your life, something that was once painful and now is used as a, a boast in the power and the grace of God to remind you that he is for you and with you. He might use a sermon or an encouraging, fr- uh, encouraging friend or a word from the scriptures. But God will send you at the right time that staff in your hand, that assurance to steady you. You see, you're just an ordinary staff. You're just an ordinary staff, but you're in his hands. And he uses ordinary staffs to divide seas and conquer armies and to save his people. He uses ordinary staffs to change family cycles and to overcome community indifference and to give children hope. So, of course, Moses responds. And Moses responds the same way that we would respond. Yeah, but. Yeah, but. Yeah, but I'm not so smart. Yeah, but I don't speak so clearly. Yeah, but, but sometimes my mind works a lot more slowly than my mouth. Can any of y'all identify with Moses here? And, and that's what we do. God calls us to something. 
God says, go, I'm going to send you, I'm going to equip you, I'm going to provide for you, I'm going to defend you, I'm going to prosper you, I'm going to do it. And we say, yeah, but we're a young family with young kids. Yeah, but I'm stressed out at work. Yeah, but, but I'm cash strapped. Yeah, but, but I, I, I'm struggling to have my quiet time. I'm not exactly a biblical scholar. Yeah, but. It's our way of looking back to God and asking, isn't there someone better? Isn't there someone better? And you know how God responds to Moses? This is awesome. I think this is so awesome. God says, I see your yeah, but, and I'm going to raise you a yeah, but. God responds back to Moses by saying, yeah, but. Yeah, but I am with you. Yeah, but I made your mouth. Yeah, but I, made, I know your limitations. I know your disabilities. I know your handicaps. I know your struggles. I know your trepidations. Yeah, but I know and I am with you. This is a form that we'll see throughout the scriptures that, that God often asserts his, his sovereignty and control and authority by answering our questions with his own questions. You can think about in, uh, in the book of Job, in Job 38 through 40, God begins to answer Job after this long, prolonged period of, of silence from God as Job began to ask questions about his suffering and questions about just the excruciating path that his life had taken. And God says, you will sit there and you will listen like a man and you will answer me. Where were you when I told the oceans where to stop? Where were you when I sunk the foundations of the earth? asserting his authority when he says, do you think I don't know? Do you think I don't know how dumb you are? Do you don't, you don't think I know how limited you are? You don't think I know how weak you are? You don't think I know your speech impediment? And you think I don't know? No, not only does God know Moses' weakness, God is counting on it. See, one of the hardest things for sinners to learn is that it's our weakness and not our strength that we contribute to our relationship with God. That's our contribution to the, to the relationship. We contribute weakness. We contribute worry. We contribute wretchedness. We contribute anxiety. We contribute unbelief. God contributes power. God contributes strength. God contributes righteousness. God contributes grace. God makes the contribution in the positive. We are only depleting. Except in God, we have found a source that does not run dry. In fact, you can't even have a relationship with God until you begin to grasp that. That God uses our greatest weaknesses to call us to faith. That's why he asked him who's made man's mouth. It's a call to faith. It's a call to confidence in him. It's a call to confidence in the one who is more, so far superior in sovereignty that you can't even answer his questions, that his ways are beyond our ways. And it's more than a call to faith. It's a call to the right faith. It's a call to the right object of faith. It's a call to stop having faith in yourself and to start having complete faith in God himself. That Moses was anxious. And he was anxious because his faith was misguided. See, anxiety is the body's way of telling us that our faith is misaimed. Think about why you're anxious. Think about why you're anxious. Think about why you worry so much. Is it because you believe that you will fail? Is it because you believe that you aren't up for the call that God has placed on you? Is it because you believe that you aren't strong enough? My goodness, y'all, that's the point. 
That's the point. You aren't. You absolutely cannot do what God has called you to do, but God has placed a message on your lips to preach to your anxieties, to preach to your weaknesses, to preach to your unbelief. And it is this, yeah, but, yeah, but God is with me. Yeah, but God is for me. Yeah, but God is able. Yeah, but God is gracious and merciful and willing. Moses gets to the place where he seems to be exasperated by God. I want you to think about that sentence for a second. That Moses is exasperated by God. In other words, God's not buying any of his excuses, is he? God's not not buying any of his justifications for unfaithfulness. And so Moses comes to the end of himself, and finally he just says, but oh my Lord, please send someone else. And now we've gotten to the root of the issue. Now we've gotten and we've really heard from Moses' heart. His pretending that he was inadequate, his pretending that he didn't speak clearly enough, all of this is false humility. All of this are, are, are just camouflaged unbelief, camouflaged lack of faith. It's the same thing that we do, isn't it? As cordially as he asked, though, do you see what God's response was? He asks as respectfully as he can. Oh, Lord, please, please, if you would, in your kindness, in your sovereignty, Almighty One, send someone else. And it says that the Lord's anger, anger is kindled against Moses. Now, we would think, okay, this is the part where, where God just moves on to Aaron, maybe. God raises up somebody else. God does something, and he's going to make Moses watch the whole time. But instead, it says that God sees what Moses has done. And, and Moses is writing this. I'm leaving this out of my autobiography, if this is me. But Moses is writing this. He says, the Lord's anger is kindled against him. You see, we think we have valid reasons for disobeying God. We come with all of our yeah, but excuses, and we believe in our heart of hearts that we have valid, reasonable, logical explanations for our unbelief. But God sees our camouflaged false humility, and he calls it for what it is. Insecurity in God's call is unbelief, not humility. If God is the one that's calling us, then our unwillingness to obey says more about what we believe about God than what we even believe about ourselves. So God says, I'm going to send you your brother. And y'all are going to speak on my behalf, and I'm basically going to give you a teleprompter that tells you everything that you're supposed to say. I'm going to give you your staff, and I'm going to allow you to be able to perform mighty signs in my name so that you will know that I'm going. But you're going. You're going. You see, the stability of the mission didn't rest with Moses. The steadiness of the mission didn't rest with Moses. No, the stability of the mission lies with God, not his messengers. God's message is greater than his messengers. And his covenant for Israel and his new covenant with us is dependent upon his faithfulness, not ours. Five years ago, many of you know Steve Mann, Stephen and Mann. They've come, they were here a few weeks ago, they pre- he's preached here. He's one of our mission partners in Africa. And five years ago, I can remember being on the other side of the world in Lichtenberg, South Africa, holed up in this little room with him all day long, and we just began to talk. And I began to pour out my heart and share with him my anxieties and my insecurities and just things that I was struggling with as a young pastor in the ministry. And I remember telling him, Steve, Steve, I know they know that I have no clue what I'm doing. 
I, I know that. And I'm, I'm telling you, it always feels like the church is falling apart to me. It always feels like everything is unraveling. It always feels like we're on the edge of, of closing up shop. I remember Steve looked back to me and he said, that's the point. That's the point. Is that God is not going to allow you to feel good about where you are in your strength. That God is not going to allow you to believe that any success is dependent upon you. That God is not going to allow you in his ministry to be deceived about your lack of strength. No, God is going to keep you moment by moment, day by day, second by second, dependent upon him for survival as the church. And that's how he works in our lives, isn't it? I don't know what God's calling you to do. I don't know what he's asking you to do today. I know that you're filled with doubts. I know that you're filled with concerns. But here's what I also know is that that is the nature of a walk of faith is you don't know what's around the curve and you don't know what's around the bend, but you should go for it anyway. You should do it anyway. You should obey anyway because God is for you and God is with you. And one day, it may be 10,000 years from now, as the song says. But one day you'll think back on your pleas of God to not send you. And you'll think, God, I wouldn't trade your plan for my plan any day. Let's pray to the Lord this morning. Hi, I'm Cody Hill. I'm the lead pastor here at Iron City. Thank you so much for connecting with us online. I hope in the days ahead that we'll have an opportunity to connect with you in person. On our website, ironcity.org, you'll see a number of different opportunities that you have to connect with our church and opportunities that we're seeking to engage our community and minister to our church family. I'd like to especially invite you to come and be a part of one of our connection groups that meet at 9 o'clock immediately preceding our Sunday morning worship service. You'll find that we're not a perfect church, but we are a passionate church. We take following Jesus very seriously, but we try not to take ourselves too seriously. So I hope you'll come this Sunday at 1015 and worship with us and let us get to know you a little bit better.